glad you're here with us this morning. Again, I want to welcome those who are joining us online. I also welcome, if you're, if you're new here, I uh, want to thank you for being and choosing to spend part of your day here today. We're glad each and every one of you are here today. We're in a message series. So this is week number seven. Uh, we got just a couple more to go. We're going to do nine and ten together. Um, so we just have a couple more to go, but this is uh, chapter seven today of the book of Ezra in a series that we were calling Restore. Uh, because it, it, that's really what the, the Ezra, Nehemiah, and a couple other books, Zechariah and Haggai, they are about the restoration of Israel, of, of coming home after being gone. If you've missed out, let me just give you a Reader's Digest version of what's going on here and why it matters to us and where it's applicable for us today. 490 years God's people, his chosen, the Jews, had turned their back on God. They'd walked away from him. They weren't mindful of him. They weren't giving thought to him. They just really forgot about God. In those last 70 years, of those 490 years, they found themselves in exile. They found themselves in captivity. And it was really one of those things where God just... You know, he allowed them to go where their hearts were already taking them. He just let them go. And, and um, you know, and, and I thought about it in this way. Sometimes, you know, with our kids, um, and I think about Reagan and Riley in different times that, you know, if, a, if they got a ticket and, or if they had something happen in their life and they didn't have a consequence, um, we, don't, we don't like it. We hate it that they have consequences. But there's the other side. If they don't have natural consequences, then they'll never learn. They'll never grow. There's something good about natural consequences. And God uses natural consequences to draw us back to him. And he, uh, he allowed them to go where their hearts had already, their hearts had long left him. And so they found themselves captive in bondage, experiencing natural consequences. But uh, God's consequences are for our good. It's so that we'll turn back to him. He wants people to turn back to him, to return to him. And his plan is always to restore his people. That's what God is in the business of. If you want to know what God's in the business of, it's in the business of restoration. He's in the business of restoring lives. He's in the business of redeeming lives. He's in the business of reconciling us to himself. And so... I'm thankful for the story of Ezra and about God's heart and hearing his heart to want to restore us. And uh, I want to speak just for a second to my friends in Chief's kingdom. Um, you probably thought he's bitter and he's a sore loser and he wasn't going to say anything about this because he's jealous. And I am all those things. But I, I congratulate you on a great uh, victory last week, your third Super Bowl. I will say that you know, I've had several going, you're our pastor, you're rooting for us, right? And I was like, would you root for the Broncos if they were in the Super Bowl? No, you wouldn't root for them. So what makes you think because I'm a pastor, I'm going to root for your chiefs? Uh, three years ago, I did though. It had been 50 years. And it wasn't because I felt sorry for you guys and those things. But my, my brother-in-law, his son was in college and still is in college, and his dad was uh, uh, dying of congestive heart failure and didn't have much long to live. In fact, I have a picture of the three of them. This was after the first Super Bowl three years ago, Super Bowl 54. And at that time, uh, the one on your, let's see, the one on your right, my brother-in-law, he was four years old the first time the Chiefs won the Super Bowl in Super Bowl four. And 50 years later, uh, Arlen went to be with the Lord uh, a few months later after this Super Bowl. But the three of them, those three generations, 
I was rooting for the Chiefs on that day because I was rooting for Arlen. And I was rooting for this, this family dynamic that they would get experience this together. And, uh, but then my prayer became, really, I just was satisfied that God would just give you a Super Bowl every 50 years. That would be okay with me, you know? I, I kind of like the plan that we were on. I don't like this every two, three years kind of deal that's kind of taking place. And, but it made me think of, and there's a point to why I'm sharing this, because today where we find ourselves in Nehemiah chapter 7, I don't have the first few verses uh, up, and I'll tell you why in just a moment, because there's a lot of names in it that I didn't want to try to pronounce. So I just left them out. But if you see in chapter 7, the first three words says, after these things. Three words, after these things. After what things? Well, between chapter 6 and 7, uh, it was Super Bowl 57 last week. Between chapter 6 and 7, there was a period of 57 years that had taken place. There was 57 years that took place between chapters 6 and 7. And we could kind of just read from one scripture to the next, and we read from one chapter to the next, and we just kind of think, okay, it's just the next day. It's not the next day. Between chapter 6 and 7, it had been 57 years since the temple had been restored, and 50,000 or 1 in 40 of the Jews had returned to their homeland, and now they were setting up their, their community. In fact, this kind of, I found this very interesting. I find this so cool about the Bible. The Bible is amazing. We've been, uh, those of us on Wednesday nights, been going through the Bible conference. It's just reinvigorating our love for the Word of God and for the Scripture and how powerful it is. It is the most unique book. There is no other book like this. It is, it's because it's living, it's active, it's breathing, and everything in it points to a purpose. The 39 books of the Old Testament, they're all pointing to Jesus and the Messiah coming. The 27 books of the New Testament are pointing, pointing back to that Jesus has come and that he's coming again. It's all, all of it points to Jesus. And between chapters 6 and 7 of Ezra, we do have some documentation of what took place. If you go to Ezra, Nehemiah, and the book right after that is the book of Esther. Between chapters 6 and 7 of, of uh, Ezra, the book of Esther takes place. And, and I just think that's kind of a cool thing how it wasn't like God stopped and there was nothing, nothing that happened during this time. But what a cool story. Uh, did I say Esther or Ezra? Esther is what took place between chapter 6 and 7. Really cool story in the Bible. Ladies, a story that you, if you haven't read it, you will love. You should read it this week. It's about 12 chapters. It is an incredible, great love story. It really is a love story. And the Esther, the woman, she's the superhero. She's the Wonder Woman. I mean, it's all about really how she helped save the nation and preserve the lineage of Jesus who would become our Savior. The enemy was trying to stop all that. Esther to the rescue. And for such a time as this, I mean, there's whole messages we could preach on, on that today. But it's not just for gals in a great love story, but guys, there's blood and there's guts and there's gore at the end as well, too. You're going to see guys impaled on a pole. I mean, it's some good stuff. There's something for guys. There's something for girls in the book of Esther. I encourage you to read that this week, but know that that took place between chapters 6 
and 7 of Ezra. 57 years took place between that. And if you don't want to read about it, you can drive five and a half hours over to Branson and you can go to Sights and Sound Theater and you can watch uh, Esther right now being, being played in that way. I just love the Bible and I love how uh, these things kind of fit together. Well, back to chapter 7. The temple had been rebuilt and restored. And uh, it says, after these things, and this isn't for your screen yet, it says, after these things, during the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, Ezra comes onto the scene. I mean, last week in chapter 6, it's King Darius. Chapter 1, it's King Cyrus. So here's another king, King Artaxerxes. And so 57 years have passed. It's another king that's in place. And we see for the first time, Ezra comes into the scene, comes in stage left, comes into the picture. Uh, we think, well, the whole book has been about Ezra. Ezra, well, Ezra's the author of it. But chapters one, Ezra was writing about not when, where he was, but Zerubbabel and Joshua or Jeshua, whichever you want to say, how they were the first to, to, to lead the people back. Ezra He's now part of that others, the, the more that are going to come uh, to Jerusalem. Now, in year 57, Ezra, along with some others, and that's what verses 1 through uh, 6 is a little bit about. It just kind of gives Ezra's pedigree, tells his lineage, uh, how important uh, where he came from. He came from the Levitical priest uh, all the way back to the, to the, the line of Aaron. And Aaron, he's a, so he's a, he's a priest, he's a prophet. And here we have Ezra entering into the scene. Chapters 1 through 6, he was just talking about what had happened. And remember, 1 in 40 returned to Jerusalem. Not everybody. 1 in 40 of God's chosen, his, the Jews, returned. Or 50,000 out of 2 million originally returned. But now there's more. And Ezra's a part of this. And here's the good news about this. God is always wanting another. God is always wanting one more. He's not satisfied. Oh, we got a great crowd. We got 50,000 here. This is awesome. He's always seeking one more. Jesus in the parable, the 99, that he left the 99 to go after the one because Jesus is always looking for one more. God's always looking for one more. He wants one more to be a part of his family. I'm so thankful in these recent days that as my oldest, Reagan, is going to church today, it's about her seventh Sunday. I mean, I, I've told you her story. She's looked about 12 different churches. She found her church about seven weeks ago. But I can tell you, it only lasts so long. She loves the preaching and loves the, the, the music and loves everything about the church. But really, she was, she's going by herself. Her, her roommate feels called to go to a different church. So she's been going by herself. And it's a, that's a different experience. But she loves it. But I know this. She wasn't going to stay there forever if she didn't get connected if she didn't get connected because we're meant to be a part of God's family. God made us for one another. And when, when, when God said it is not good for man to be alone, he wasn't just talking about uh, uh, man and woman in that relationship. He was talking about God made us for one another. He made us to, to have fellowship and a relationship with others. And so this a uh, couple weeks ago, she went to a a uh, some college kind of event, post-college event, 18 to 27-year-olds. And she hated it, absolutely hated it. She goes, I felt like I was in junior high. They were playing junior high games. But 
You never know if even the things you may hate lead to something else. But that's where they told about a Bible study. She went to this last Tuesday night, met some great young ladies. They're meeting together at church together. So he's, praise the Lord, I'm excited, Dad. She's got other friends to go to church with today. Said, we're bringing you Starbucks. And so they're going out to lunch afterwards. And, and why am I sharing all this? I just want to encourage us in the middle of this message, a little commercial, a little infomercial here. What we do here each week and how we greet and welcome other people, it matters. It matters so much. Her first week there, the place was so packed, there wasn't a place. That, that first Sunday, her roommate did go with her, even that's not the church that she was gonna, she's going to go to. There wasn't a place for two people to sit together. And the ushers were so good, they found someone that were regulars and asked them to move and go stand in the back so that those two could go sit together. They made a place for them. They made them feel welcome and belong. They said, everyone was so friendly. And I just want to tell you, friends, when we come, this is just a little infomercial. It, it, when we come each and every week, what we do matters. We need to come with intentionality. We need to come with our, our head on a swivel, as they talk about in football. We need to be looking around, not to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. So my prayer church, in many ways, you guys do a great job of this, but we don't always hit on all cylinders. Let's continue to, when we come, let's look for other people. Let's look for people that we don't know. Let's introduce ourselves. We never know what that's going to do for someone when we take time. And I know it can be a little bit scary, but it goes a long ways when we make room for one more. When we make room for one more. So here we are in chapter 7. Now what? Where, where do we go from here? We've been into the first six. What's, what's now? Where, where's Ezra going? Now what? The, the temple's been built. But God had so much more in store for his people than just a temple. Because God's presence, it's too big for a building. It's too big for just a, a building. God had a greater purpose in mind. God now has a plan not to just restore a building, to, but restore the heart of his people. And he's going after more people. And I've titled today's message, Restore My Heart, because that's what God was now doing for his people. He was restoring their hearts much greater than a building, he was restoring their hearts as they were returning to him. As one in 40 had the first time, now there's more that are, that are going to join. And as we get into chapter 7, we see that God wants to do more, that God wants to restore more people. And, and God starts this revival. Um, Ezra, in the Old Testament, is probably known as the greatest revival of the Old Testament. It was the greatest return when his people returned back to, to Jerusalem, returned back, their hearts turned back to him. It was the greatest revival of its time that took place in the Old Testament. Uh, some of you and many of, maybe many of us, have been following what's been taking place in Kentucky and the, and the revival taking place in Asbury College. And what started on February 8th at a regular chapel service at 10 o'clock in the morning and the students wouldn't leave because the presence of God was so came upon them and they were repenting and, and God was doing a new work. And that revival 10 days later is still going on today. Uh, my, my daughter, Riley, goes, uh, lives at, uh, up near Chicago. She's had a couple different friend groups that, she, that have gone over and driven over to the revival for a, a few hours. You know what? I, one thing I loved about one of her friends she was talking to yesterday that went four or five days ago, she said, you know, she, had, she couldn't miss another class. I don't want to tell on her, but she'd missed 
her couple classes. If she missed another one, it was going to be like a letter grade, so she couldn't miss another class. And so, uh, but she had friends that went, and a friend that came back, she goes, man, how, how was it? What was it like? And they said, it was awesome. I mean, the presence of God is definitely there. It was so cool. But Riley, the same Holy Spirit that's there lives within us, is in our hearts. God is not limited by time and space. God wants to do a revival in us. I, I believe that we should be praying for revival for, for our hearts and for our lives and for our church and for our nation. But here's what happens in revival. Revival happens at the work of God, and it results in praise and worship. It happens when people's hearts repent. I'm just, I, I, I'm, I, I just, my heart has been watching these things and seeing these things, and I believe God would love nothing more than to see a revival spread across this nation and see people's hearts return to Him like the day they did in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah. People's hearts return to them. Now, they physically went back, but greater than physically going back, God wants our hearts to return to Him. He's searching and wants hearts. I've been thinking about revival uh, since this kind of broke out, and I've been thinking, what, what is it, and what, what, what are some of the components of it? I just want this, this is extra in your notes. I don't have it written up because this kind of came a little bit later. But I just want to share four things about revival because I believe God wants to bring revival. But here's the number one thing I want to share with you this morning about revival. Revival is something only God can do. Remember chapter 1 of Ezra, God moved the hearts of King Cyrus, and he moved in the hearts of people. Revival happens only, not because we manufacture it or it's human manufactured. It happens because God initiates it, because God calls it, because God uh, makes it happen. Uh, in, chapter, uh, in chapter 7 of, of um, Ezra, verse 6, Here's our first verse I want to share with us today. Verse 6 says, This Ezra came up from Babylon. He was teacher well-versed in the law of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. The king had granted him everything he asked for, for the hand of the Lord his God was on him. The hand of the Lord of his God was on him. That is simply the grace of God. It is the grace of God. It's, it's the hand of God is the grace of God. Chapter 1, the God moved in their hearts. That's the grace of God. May we pray that the grace of God, because we need His grace, may we pray that the grace of God comes to us, fills us, sustains us, refills us. The second thing about revival is this. Revival comes only through Repentance. It comes through a people's hearts who seek in repentance, who's seeking to change their ways. Genuine repentance, genuine repentance marked by humility and confession and submission and love and resistance as may be described in James chapter 4. I believe this is revival, but he gives us more grace. That is why the scripture said God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. We must humble ourselves. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil. Resist the things of this world, the, the evil, the things that, that is not bringing God honor and glory, but to resist those things. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. God wants to bring revival. And, and he, first of all, he initiates it. Secondly, it comes to those whose hearts are repenting. 
Those are repenting and seeking after him. And thirdly, revival results in only praise to God. It, re it results in, in praise to Jesus. No one gets the credit for it. No one gets to own it. It's for God and God alone. I, I read the president of Asbury this week. He, he put out a, a little statement, and I, I, was, I noticed at the end of it, he said, this is not our revival. This is not ours. We don't own this. This is God's. Everything they're doing, it's pointing back to Jesus. And true revival points people to Jesus. It doesn't point to any one personality or any one man or woman. It points back to Jesus. And finally, re revival results in lasting fruit. God's word is spread. The fruit of the Spirit is given. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Ezra chapter 7, this revival's taking place in, in their day and in their time. And, and look what happens in verse, verse 10. The hand of the Lord was upon him. That's the end of verse 9. But going to the next verse, uh, right here we are. He'd begun his journey from Babylon the first day of the first month, and he arrived in Jerusalem on the first day of the fifth month, for the gracious hand of his God was on him. God initiated it. For Ezra, man, this is, the, this is where we're going to park and where we're going to stay today because this is so important to us. What we, one of the things we want to take from what God did in Ezra's time, he wants to do in our time. But look what Ezra did. For Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. If you're following along in your notes today, there's three important things in this one scripture that says so importantly what, what it's all about. He had devoted. What is devoted? It means he set his heart firmly. His heart was firmly set on three things. You ever been so focused? You're just focused on something? His heart was set firmly on three things. Those three things are this. First, it's the study of God's word. It was the study of God's Word. It's in, in, in verse 10, for Ezra devoted himself to the study of God's Word. This last week in the Bible conference Wednesday night, actually two Wednesday nights ago, there was a, a pastor by the name of Ricky, Jensen, Ricky Jenkins from uh, Palm Springs, uh, California. And he was talking about his main message. It's just still ringing in my ears is get in this book. Get in this book. And he, I can't tell you how many times he told us, get in this book because this book changes lives. It changed Ezra. It changed the people of God. Ezra devoted himself to this book. He devoted himself to the law of the Lord. Well, he didn't have the New Testament, but he, he devoted himself to the Torah and the first five books. He devoted himself to the law of the Lord. Wonderful things happen when we get in this book. Wonderful things happen when we uh, develop a hunger and a thirst for the things in this book. And sometimes we have to develop an appetite. I, I remember that I'm a coffee, I'm an everyday coffee drinker. I even drink it black without any cream or sugar. I mean, if it tastes, uh, I mean, but that one time and another, and when I was in my early 30s, I hadn't touched coffee. I never tasted coffee. But it's, a, it's an acquired taste. You develop an appetite for it. And then you find yourself, you got to have it. I got to have it every day. And, and the word can be that way. 
It's developing an appetite for God's Word, but then you'll get to a place you got to have it. you got to have God's Word. And when, when you get in this book, great things happen. Wonderful things happen. One is we find encouragement. Can't tell you how many times when I've been discouraged, but you go and you get into God's Word and you leave encouraged. You, 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 it's, it's to be encouraged. Another thing is it provides direction. It points us in the, in the way in which we should go. It not only helps us give direction, but it also gives us correction. We don't always like correction, but I'm thankful the Scripture says God disciplines those He loves. We discipline our children not because we hate them. We discipline our children because we want their best. We want the best for them. And God disciplines His children, and He corrects us. There's times we read this and we don't like it, but it hits us square in the face and we stand corrected. I think it also is so many wonderful things. Last, I'll say it, it gives us strength. I find in the Word there is strength. There is strength in, in God's Word. The second thing that we see that, that uh, Ezra did is he didn't just study the Word of God. He obeyed the Word of God. He observed God's Word. It's wonderful to study God's Word, but that's not enough. We're called to apply it to our lives. We're called to work it into ourselves. James 1.22 says, Do not be merely listeners of the Word and deceive yourselves, but do what it says. And I guarantee you this. Every one of us watching online in this room, myself included, included the person that knows the least amount of Scripture Every single one of us know more than what we're actually doing. If you want to go deep, I hear people want, I want to go deep into the Word. You want to go deep in the Word, apply God's Word to your life. Because I guarantee you, every one of us, we know more than what we're actually doing. We know we're supposed to forgive, but we're not forgiving sometimes in some areas. We know we're not supposed to have malice in our hearts towards others, but we may have malice. We may be holding on. We, 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 there's so many things in God's Word that that we know more than what we're actually doing. God calls us to give, but not all of us give. There's so many things that God calls us to, to obey His Word. And Ezra studied His Word. He'd obeyed His Word. And then finally, and this is listed in the order of importance, finally he taught God's Word. He studied the Word. He obeyed the Word. Then he taught the Word. And we're, we're told in Scripture that those who teach the world, Word are going to be held to a higher standard. There's going to be a greater accountability. That's a humbling thought. Now, it doesn't mean we have to be perfect because <laughs> I couldn't preach to you if I was, I mean, I'm not perfect. I have to have to step down and, and resign if, it's, if I'm called to be a perfect pastor. I'm not. I'm a flawed person like we all are flawed. But there is something about seeking to observe and obey the Word of God. And as we do that, God wants us to pass that on to others. He wants us to te teach us to others. So my encouragement today is study the Word of God, obey the Word of God, and teach others. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's a coworker. I had a, someone a, a, this week talk about their business and how they're feeling God's leading them to start a Bible study at lunch to teach others and to share with others God's Word. God wants us to share it with others so others can receive the hope that we have and the encouragement that we have. So make a plan to study God's Word. Seek to obey His Word. Teach it to others. First of all, study God's Word. If you don't have a plan to study God's Word, that's your plan. 
If you don't have a plan, that is your plan. Uh, every good coach has a game plan. Man, the Chiefs had a really good one in the second half last week, didn't they not? Let's not spend too much time there. But every good coach has a good game plan. Every successful business has a business plan. Every teacher has lesson plans. They don't just show up. They, they, they plan. There's, there's plenty. If we don't have a plan, that is our plan. And, and we have to plan to get into God's Word. And from time to time, I share, I've shared some of these before. I'm going to share a new one today with you. But they're just tools. There's, 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 you don't have to use these tools. There's other tools. But my point is, come up with a plan. Have a plan to get in God's Word. A few weeks ago, some of you were challenged. Have you been talking about the first 15? That's a plan. To give God your first 15 of your day, to give Him your first 15 minutes to spend five minutes in prayer, five minutes in praise and worship, and five minutes studying in God's Word. You'll probably end up doing more than that because it's just, you'll find it's not enough time, but sometimes you're, 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 you're crammed for time. Give God your first 15, and some of you, you've taken to that challenge. That's a plan. That's a good plan. I, I think it's awesome that you're doing that. But what are some plans to study and read God's Word? One of those uh, plans I've shared with you before that I love is um, it's a Cala pastor uh, out in California. Not all of them are fruits and nuts out there. I mean, so there's some good things. So Chris Langham uh, is called Through the Word. It takes you through one chapter of the Bible at a time. It's a great app. You can get it right off your phone. You type in Through the Word. Uh, you can go through any, uh, any book of the Bible. Every single one of them has a five to ten minute commentary about, that, about the chapter that you read that day. I've learned so much through the, through the Word app. I've learned so much. Even some of the things that I've shared with Ezra has come from the Through the Word uh, commentary. There's another one that you, most of you, and there's millions that have this, but the YouVersion Bible app. It's one thing to have the Bible app, but it's another thing to open up and use the Bible app. And there's so many good plans in there. There's, there's plans about if you're a teenager. There's plans if you're a kid. There's plans if you're single. There's plans if you're married. There's plans if you're a grandparent. There's, there's all sorts of plans for, for, for studying God's Word. And then lastly, I've, I've come across this through friends and loved ones called the Bible Recap by Tara Lee Cobble. Uh, and the Bible Recap, what's really cool about it is it goes in chronological order. So uh, after Genesis, you know, Genesis 1 through 11, it takes a break and goes to Job because Job took place between chapters 11 and 12. And so then it comes back to 12 after it's done with Job. Uh, I haven't got this far. I don't know if they, they did that with, with Esther. But, you know, I would guess that that would, may, might be the case. That at Ezra chapter 6, I would think that maybe they might take a break and go to Esther and then come back to Ezra chapter 7. Anyway, it goes for the most part, it goes in chronological order. And I, I've heard uh, Tara Lee Cobble, I've heard her commentary. Man, she's just easy to listen to. She does a great job of pulling things out in the Scriptures. My, my point is not these three. My point is make a plan to get in God's Word. God's Word will change your life. God's Word will point you and lead you to Jesus. God's Word will help you to follow Him more closely. But we have to take time to spend in His Word. And it is a blessed life. When we get into God's Word, when we apply God's Word, and when we teach it to others, the psalmist talks about how it is a blessed life. Not a perfect life, 
Not a life absent of pain, but it is a blessed life. Psalm 1, 1 through 3, and actually all six verses are great. The last three talk about the ways of the wicked, but I'm just going to spend the time on the blessings. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, the Scriptures, the Bible, whose, whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on his law day and night, who thinks about it. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Do you want to live a blessed life? Do you want to live a prosperous life? Get in God's Word. Hear me out. We've heard about the definition of prosper. Prosper isn't cars. Prosper isn't houses and homes. Isn't second home. That's not, it's not prosper. Prosper is the life that God has for you. And it's the best life. The best life you can live is, is a life lived by the Word of God. Lived by His the laws of, uh, uh, that he has established for us is a blessed life. It's a prosperous life. And that's what God was leading these Israelites in the time of Ezra. He was leading them back, restoring them to his word, restoring him, them to their hearts towards God, their hearts to a place of worship, their, their hearts on bended knee to him, that seeking him. God restores us through a relationship with God. God restores us through a relationship with Jesus. I'm going to give us an opportunity to do that today in just a moment, as we do each week. There's an opportunity to receive Jesus. That's how he wants to restore your heart. You want to know how God wants to restore you? He wants to restore your heart. And when you give him your heart, when your heart turns back to God, it is the blessed life. It is a good life. God's life is the best life if we will trust him with it. A relationship, though, after that involves an investment of time and communication. That's why we spend time in God's word. That's why we spend time in prayer. It's because we're engaging in communication. We're engaging in a relationship. It's like any relationship. If, If we stop talking, we drift apart. I was thinking about this morning, I was thinking about my college roommate. I love my college roommate. He lives out in Sacramento, California. When we were, when we were pastor out there, there was times for his family and my family would get close together. We'd hang out, have fun. It was just like old times. The calls began to be, you know, once we moved back here, the calls began to be, you know, once or twice a year. And I can honestly say the last three or four years, we haven't talked. It's not because he doesn't love me or I don't love him. We don't care about one another. But I can tell you this, I don't feel very close to him. We're not real close these days. Not because I have something against him or he has something against me. We just haven't taken time to invest in one another. We haven't taken time to pick up the phone and, and have a relationship. A relationship is, takes time. Takes coming together. Takes intentionality. And that's how we communicate with God and how he communicates with us is through God's word and through prayer. And when we don't spend time in God's word and we don't spend time in prayer, we drift. We are natural drifters. That's who we are. You know, there's a a two-sided coin. It's kind of like a two-sided coin. 
on the side of heads, if you look at the Old Testament and its heads, you'll see that the people of God, Israel, time and time again, they forgot about God, they walked away from God, God brought them back. They fell in love again, they walked with Him, they walked with Him, they began to drift, they began to drift, they began to drift, and they fell out of love with God, and they stopped following Him. And then God brought them back. He moved in their hearts, and He always initiates, and He brought them back. And then they begin to enjoy this relationship, and they always say, we'll never turn on you, we'll never, we'll never turn our back on you again, never again, never will we ever do that. Joshua 24, 15, there was a challenge that was laid down, choose for yourself this day, and they're like, we're, we're choosing forever, we're never going to go back, we're never going to go back. What'd they do? They went back. And we look at that side of heads, we can flip it over the tails, that's us. We're the other side of that coin. Human nature, so many times, often we find ourselves, if we are not intentional, we drift. We drift and we drift. But God in His goodness, God in His love, He initiates because He so wants a relationship with you and me. He's always initiating. I believe he's initiating in Asbury in Kentucky. I, I believe it's not just there though, but I believe as my friend told, as Riley's friend told her this week, that same Holy Spirit, he's not limited to a, a geographical location. <laughs> he's not limited to a building. That same Holy Spirit is right here. And if you're a follower of God, he lives within you. And he wants a relationship with you. Would you pray with me this morning as we close our service today. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray, God, for your word to penetrate our hearts today. Lord, Ezra is our example who studied your word, applied your word, observed your word, and taught your word to others. Lord, do that in us. Lord, help us to draw close to you. You told us if we'll draw close to you, you'll, you'll draw close to us because that's your heart, that's your desire. It's to draw near to us. But you don't force yourself on us. You initiate, you ask. But Lord, you're waiting for us to respond. Lord, I pray today that we would respond affirmatively. Lord, that we would, if there's repenting that needs to take place in our life today. We would repent. If there's bitterness or anger or resentment, if there's unforgiveness. Lord, I pray that you would just convict our hearts right now to, to repent of that and give that to you. Your heads bowed and your eyes closed this morning. God wants to restore every heart. He wants every heart that leaves here to be in a relationship with him. And maybe today you're not in a place of relationship with him. Maybe you're like the children of Israel. You've walked away. Know that God loves you. Maybe you've never made that decision to come to him. I want you to know God loves you, but he's waiting for you to respond to him and say, yes, I want to follow Jesus. I want Jesus in my life. I want to live for him. And he'll bring you a peace that I can't explain. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed this morning, if that's you today, God has spoken to your heart. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to, to, to start a brand new life and God giving you a new beginning. If that's you today and God's spoken to you, no one's looking around. It's just you and me and I won't call you out and embarrass you. You just raise your hand. I can pray for you before you leave. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you for those hands. You can put them down. Thank you. There'd be those this morning that you just say, you know what, I feel a little 
dry in my relationship with him. I feel a little bit like I've drifted, but today I feel like God is saying, I want you to come back. Maybe that's you today. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to embarrass you, but it's just a statement of faith. You're saying to God, God, you see, the, you see my hand? I, it's, a, it's, it's a statement of faith. But if that's you today, you say, there's something in my life that God's moved in my heart and my life today. He's moving in me, and I want to move closer to him. If that's your desire today, if that's you, no one's looking around, but you just raise your hand. I'm going to pray for you as well. Thank you. Thank you. Heavenly Father, thank you for my friends. Lord, thank you for my friends in this room, Lord, that we're all in this journey. We're in this journey that we don't have it all figured out, but we're following the God who does. And we're seeking after you today. Lord, I pray for these that just now raise their hand, God, or even those that maybe didn't, but that's their heart, Lord. They're wanting to have a closer relationship with you. You said if we'll draw near to you, you'll draw near to us. Lord, I pray, Lord, I'm claiming that promise today that you're going to draw near my friends this week. Lord, I also believe the enemy's going to attack because he doesn't like it when we, when we take steps to, to draw closer to you. So, Lord, I pray for spiritual protection. I pray for revival, Lord, in this church, revival in our, in our nation, revival in this land. Lord, I pray you do that revival in my heart and in our hearts for your praise and your glory. And then if you'll stand with me this morning, if you'll stand with me this morning, there's some that raised their hand the first time that, that want to receive Christ. We're just going to pray a prayer with you as a statement of our faith so you don't have to pray it alone. But if that is your heart's desire, those that raise your hand, just pray this prayer with us that we pray. And I'm going to lead it. And you just shout it out after I say it. Lord, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. Think about this, that he gave his life to forgive my sins and was raised from the grave to give me life. I receive your grace by faith. That's the hand of God. Come into my life. I will follow you. Amen. And amen. God bless you. For those of you who prayed that this morning, we, we welcome you to the family of God this morning. Keep coming back and keep following him. Pastor Brandon.